0: X-Men!
1: Get it! X-Men! X-Men. Come on! X-Men, X-Men. X-Men, X-Men. Get it! Get it! Come hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank... Every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I am Zach. Adam. Yeah. How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm great. I haven't committed even just one war crime. So I'm feeling pretty good That's about That's
1: interesting it. because I, <laughs> I here have been thinking a lot about state security apparatus <laughs> and thinking a lot about the ethically gray area that they operate in. Is the good of the many outweighing the good of the few? Who gets to decide who the few and the many are? Is any war crimes acceptable? These are the deep philosophical questions that you and I are going to wrestle with.
0: That's right. I mean, this is basically like our Zero Dark Thirty episode, uh, because we're talking about Beast today, everybody's favorite villain. (laughs) The thing about Beast, and we'll get into
1: it, is that he doesn't wrestle with these intellectual questions
0: <laughs> he has
1: he has firmly planted his mutant feet which that's not because he's a mutant it's literally his feet are the weird uh, you remember in x-men first class when they showed his horrible cgi feet
0: <laughs> dude's got big feet
1: dude's got weird feet they're not just big like listen listen there's people with big feet he's got weird feet
0: <laughs> he's got baloney feet
1: you know there's there's gotta be people who are really excited about Beast? Uh, you know, sharing feet pics on Insta. <laughs> uh, they're always asking about that feet reveal.
0: You made it uh, weird. It's so you're saying Quentin Tarantino's favorite X Man is Beast.
1: <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's favorite X Man is a hundred and fifty percent Beast. <laughs> no doubt in my mind.
0: Uh, now we've talked about uh, Beast's shady actions before uh many times on this program but this is an entire episode devoted to it who requested uh this exploration yeah uh this
1: exploration of the many war crimes of hank mccoy uh comes to us from Jaral kala uh Jeral went over to patreon.com slash comics said i like what you guys are doing and i want to unlock the feet pics here uh so here's <laughs> here's some money and while i'm while i'm waiting for that to be unraveled could you please Uh, talk about the war crimes of hank mccoy
0: yeah uh so we're gonna go in reverse chronological order which is not what we normally do but we have a very good reason for it and we'll get to that later um but we're gonna start with a pretty recent story
1: yeah this is part of the dawn of x Mm. i think it's funny adam that we have covered two dawn of x stories the dawn of x has been going on for a while like these are from early 2020 Mm -hmm. uh so like these are these are I mean January 2020. This this the first story here is 2 years old now. That's right. Man, the pandemic really did a number on us. <laughs> <isn't
0: laughs> Time <it>? is meaningless.
1: <laughs> uh but this is the only Oh no, we covered a few other Don of X series. Never mind. Uh but this is the one we've come back to the most and it is X-Force. Uh we're actually you know, you can you can hear Ben Percy talk about it on this show, but the structure of X-Force means that some stories come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh in different arcs, but this this ties up pretty good as like three issues that all go together and just have a, another arc between them. Uh it's X-Force 6, 9, and 10. It's the Terra Verde arc. It's written by Benjamin Percy, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh with art on number six by Hellions artist Steven Segovia, and colors by Guru EFX, uh, who also colors 10. Uh, and then Joshua Kasara uh and Dean White do the work on nine and Kasara on ten. Before we get into no, let's we'll save it. We'll save okay. it talking about how good Joshua Kasara is.
0: <laughs> well, Segovia is no slouch either. Um The art on these these issues is fantastic, as is Guru Effects, who just like man just dials it up into this another level. But we'll 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 get into it because especially the uh, Kasara issues are just like, uh, especially the Green Lagoon They're issue lush. is just like over the top.
1: So issue six. Mm-hmm is narrated by beast he is the head of x-force right he is the brains he calls himself the dark conductor mm-hmm. and he is speaking through this entire mission where x-force goes and does a black ops mission in a small latin american country uh, and destabilizes their government a thing that
0: no No
1: good country would ever do, right, Adam? No one would ever destabilize South American governments uh, for their own political gain, would they?
0: Well, this is in... Well, okay, first of all, this is really uh, the first time that the book very explicitly is like, hey, we are the Krakoan CIA. Um,
1: Yeah, because the the first issue is really... Or the first arc is... Security of right. Krakoa, right? But this is the first time revenge for that. We're
0: we're doing regime change, and uh, it does come in response to yet another potential assassination attempt uh, on Professor Xavier that Black Tom helps Xavier avoid. But Terra Verde is being taken over by these sort of like biological parasitic organisms that Beast is the
1: telefloronic. Yes,
0: and Beast is fairly concerned that this could basically like take over the world as sort of like a biological Nimrod.
1: Well, he's concerned about that. He's also very concerned about the capitalist interests of Krakoa, a a post-scarcity society, by the way. (laughs) So Krakoa, who does not need to deal in the zero-sum game of capitalism except to exert force on capitalist societies like the rest of the world, more or less. Beast is concerned that... Terra Verde can use their telephoronics which have enough similarities to Krakoan technology, to gain some sort of competitive, either advantage or level playing field with Krakoa. So, in order to set them back technologically, he has to orchestrate this whole regime change, essentially. Or, at, minimu- at max regime change, at minimum, heavy amounts of threatening and... it does
0: it does result coercion it does result in the death of the president's son uh who has been fully infected with this telephloronic stuff and uh basically they they ship him back a a pile of mush that then transforms into the uh uh, yet another green monster which then in the following issues uh x-force has to go back and try and take care of after it is basically beast has committed genocide uh because once he's shipped back the sun the telefloronics take over uh, i i don't know how much of terra verde that's a little unclear but it's a lot of it
1: most of everybody right uh it's so we say beast did a genocide and you and i were talking about this all fair it's important that to recognize that your beast actions led to the complete and utter death of a country
0: yes absolutely but this is key what
1: what i'm about to say is key to beast's entire characterization in x-force and i think something that on the surface level a lot of people are missing or glossing over okay is that beast frames himself in issue six as the dark conductor like He has all of this under control. He knows what he's doing. He's the smartest man in the room and nothing would happen without him. Beast didn't intentionally do a genocide. Beast hecked up really bad because he didn't understand what he was playing with and was cocky and just believed he was right beyond all else. And then a genocide happened due to those actions. Because Beast is not actually a very good dark conductor; he's not been successful at any of these things. He has just been cleaning up messes left and right.
0: Yeah, and this will come back later in the episode. But the i the the thing that makes Beast villainous uh, is different you were talk- You and I were talking before we came on about the difference between Beast and Dark Beast. Dark Beast is kind of just like a Silver Age silliness. You know, I'm going to torture you. I'm going to, like, you know, mess you up in, like, my dark, sinister lab. Beast is, like, the mad scientist who thinks he's doing something good for everybody and doesn't realize the horrible implications of what his actions are. And even after those horrible implications, still doesn't quite process how much harm he's done and will do things rash again and again and again beasts
1: hubris yeah is so much different than dark beast Mm -hmm. like in such a fascinating way because this is hank mccoy and we'll see it in other places through here but hank mccoy hit a point where he believes that he knows best i you know you can you can retcon things like him taking the serum that turned him blue and furry as him saying, well, nothing bad will happen here to me, <laughs> right. the smart one. Uh, but really, uh, in a story that we have already covered, it happens when the legacy virus kicks off and he starts to make deals and deals to save his people. and He, he starts to position himself as the man who's willing to make the hard choices and be the monster so that other people can, you know, have a better life yeah and you see this here you see this with endangered uh,
0: species you know
1: endangered species yeah yes, where that's the ethical
0: line just starts you know keeps moving and uh eventually sort of goes away so eventually beast has to send x-force back in uh to try and uh, eliminate this problem um and ends up sending black tom into uh this mess which is pretty much like taking over x-force and uh they they do manage to kind of like resolve the situation to a certain extent but it's not without its violence
1: no they have to they have to continue this genocide to the point that gene gray who had been on this team and had been willing to do the investigative work and like cross lines for for koa she has enough mhm she she has she is the first member of the team to find her line and say no this i will not be a part of anymore right and it's important like that's the that's the reason why she's on this team because she doesn't fit and she's not supposed to she's supposed to be in this situation she's put In this group because she's the one who they best trust to operate cerebro at the time when they need to operate cerebro to put xavier back and she gets tied in with all of this and she follows it because she's a good little soldier who does what she's supposed to for her people like that's that's been part of her character and here's where she says i don't care what the professor says this is wrong i'm not doing this in beast you should be ashamed of yourself
0: yeah, because Jean uh, is put in a very awkward position in that she has to use her telepathic powers to turn their combined powers into what she describes uh, as technological, technobiological malware, which is eventually what kills all of the infected Terraverdians. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think that this, and I want to get into Green Lagoon because that's sort of like its we'll own get, we'll capsule. We'll get to the art because I also have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, um, and, and the annihilation of it all, but... Um, the, this is, this arc in particular is what really sold me on this book because the team dynamic is there. You get an idea of who's willing to do what, what the sort of, uh, calculations are of its leadership, but then also, what are we willing to do and what are the consequences of that? And I think all of that is really, really interesting. We get into uh dominoes wiped memories here, which still have, have yet to be addressed again. Um, you know, we're getting into Quentin who is, you know, kind of doing his Kenny from South park thing, thing where he keeps dying. Um, everybody is, is sort of getting into what their roles are in this book. And I think it works really, really well.
1: What, one other thing that works really well, Reading this in retrospect, and mm-hmm. it, it's uh, the Chronicler, the the character that in current times has just recently been introduced, maybe a few months back in the pages of X Force, as the person in Russia who Mikhail Rasputin is making all this stuff happen through. Mm-hmm. He is a writer, a mutant writer who can control people if he writes them more or less within character, and you get you get data pages here and. I remember at the time there was uh, there was discussion, probably even on I'm sure even on uh, CXF about how hey it's weird that Percy is telling and not showing some of these actions, and you can you can argue back and forth if that was an effective storytelling choice, but in retrospect it's very interesting to see what things the chronicler has written these characters into doing versus what they are doing of their own volition. Charles Xavier set himself up in a situation where he could be assassinated because the Chronicler wanted it to happen, because Russia wanted it to happen. You have Beast doing this genocide and Jean quitting the team, more or less, like, being pushed by the Chronicler. Like, those pages are saying... This is this is the way the story is going to go now.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely worth
1: fascinating. It's
0: definitely worth revisiting. Um, You pointed this out to me before we went on and I had not revisited these issues since that reveal. So it had not even crossed my mind to go back and, and revisit. You know, I remember reading these originally and wondering why the Cyrillic was there um you know what are these pages about but it you know it just never dawned on me to make that connection now that i have i think you know revisiting these stories uh is gonna have another layer of nuance to them which is pretty cool now we should probably get into the artwork um like i said segovia no slouch the artwork on that first issue is great but kasara my god man just like dialing it up to a thousand we have this entire sequence at the beginning of uh issue nine uh with the green introduction of the green lagoon uh which is blobs sort of like tiki bar Uh, it is one of the coolest world building things that they have done since they started this hulk or cohen era
1: And the whole thing, like, they they knew that they needed a place to congregate. Like, a place where, where can the mutants be casual and, like, relax at? And Kasara was, Kasara was the one who said, I want to do a tiki bar. Can it it be a tiki bar? (laughs) And it is, it adds so much tone to the book and to the line as a whole. It's one of the greatest like one of the greatest, like little things that they added in here, having having Freddie Dukes, uh, run it. One of my favorite things, uh, having that incredible double page spread that Kasara does, that just shows the layout of everything, has all these people doing a Where's Waldo looking uh, adventure of here's all of the X Men characters that are here in the bar at this moment. It's phenomenal. And it's not even the best part of these two issues of nine and 10. Like that's, that's not even the best that Kassara gets. in these.
0: It is amazing. Just the, how much storytelling is taking place on those two pages. Um, not only with the, num- the sheer number of characters, but also the tiny vignettes of their interactions, the little Easter eggs of helmets and hats that are left around, which character is cu- cuddling up to who, um, is there a shadow here? Um, you know, is oh, is that Claremont at the bar? Like, what what are we looking at here? And it's just such a fun thing. Um, but you're right. I think the other thing that um, we have to give Kasara credit for is not just these Easter egg type things that he's doing here, but the biological horror, the body horror. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Annihilation briefly before. There are these, like, corpse
1: That's the, that's the, uh, you're, you're talking about the movie based on the Jeff Vandermeer book, Annihilation.
0: Yes. The Alex Garland, uh, movie, it appears to be referenced almost directly. Uh, the president, um, sort of appears very, very similar to a scene that happens in the film, um, with his body, the bottom half of his body missing and sort of replaced by all sort of, uh, flowers and plants later on. It looks like the swimming pool scene from the film. Yeah.
1: Hey guys, if you haven't seen Annihilation, Oof. I'm constantly thinking about it.
0: I love that movie; one of my all time faves. And uh, I I don't know if you read this. Uh, there was a, a suggestion on Vandermeer's Twitter account recently that there might be a fourth book within a couple years.
1: No, he he has said explicitly yeah, that there's going to be a fourth pretty book. exciting. I'm currently I'm currently reading Acceptance because I read. Uh, Annihilation and Authority, and I was like, these are both really good, and I just wasn't in a place to read another book at the time, uh-huh. so I took a break, and now I'm reading Acceptance, and I'm like, yeah, wait, I like Jeff Vandermeer.
0: I can't wait to get your reaction when you finish that one, so.
1: <laughs> I'm Well, listen, <laughs> I'm face. two chapters in, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this rules. Yeah. Uh, it's What's kind of weird and funny is this is not the first time that Ben Percy references uh annihilation as a like touch point uh that's like just a few months earlier in weapon plus world war F- iv uh world war four but iv mm-hmm. because it's about manslaughter right uh the man thing His mm-hmm. man of ivy uh with george Genshi. uh that is ex- that's like an explicit annihilation <laughs> like it's it's just this is the plot of annihilation and we're doing it
0: yeah uh, here, it's, it's you know, mainly in the imagery, but we have these beautiful, you, I mean, the, just the painterly quality that Guru effects adds to what Kasara is already putting down on the page. But we have these, like, organic, um, you know, twisted bark creations that turn into wildlife or flowers blooming from Quentin Quire's corpse. And it, it's just so visually stimulating uh, and it, it's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's stunning. It truly, truly is. and I am absolutely thrilled that we got to see this. It's it, I, I liked Kasara before this. Mm-hmm. This is when I understood just how big he was going to be because he's not he's not had like a big book before. Mm-hmm. He had he's not that's just not been his time in you know in the comics industry. Um, and he is just killing it. I'm so glad that he's got uh, 10 lives of Wolverine where he can really get like a big uh, explosive moment for everybody. Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of splash pages, a lot of like action content in that so far. So i um, very excited to see him stretch his legs here. Um, we've been talking about this book a lot. I think it's a, a really fun, great story from, from the, uh, first couple, uh, wait, the first wave of, of, uh, Dawn of X and Krakoa. Um, let's say you, ra- Let's rank this.
1: Yeah. Cause we rank stories on our big old master list of all of the X-Men stories of all time. We're on the road to 600 and brother, that road is quickly coming to oh, an yeah. end. The number one story on our list is The House of X, The Powers of Ten. The number 100th story on our list is The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Uh, The number 200th story on our list is X-Men 75, The Anatomy of a Monster. Uh, Number 300 on our list is New Mutants, Truth or Death. Number 400 on our list is The End of X-Factor, the uh, stuff with Xavier's Underground Enforcers. Uh, the number five hundredth story on our list is Pride and Wisdom, and the bottom story is the Draco at five ninety seven. Mm. I mean, okay, 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 buddy. Okay, here's here's what I'm gonna ask. I think we just is this better than Empire X Men <laughs> at 104? <laughs> that was the
0: first place I looked, and um, I think Empire X Men is uh, sort of a fun experiment in terms of how it's done. Um, you know, but I think this is a more concrete statement as to what the vision is of this world, and it's it's done both through the writing and the art. And I I think it's uh, better. I, I would put this probably in the top one hundred. I think.
1: So I think that's that's where I'm looking. So not too far above it at ninety six is the Hickman New Mutants uh-huh. stuff, and I think that. I think going back, I probably enjoy those as a whole a bit more. But that may just be because those are a complete story.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And also Rod Reese is not exactly a slouch. No.
0: <laughs> and I, I would I would probably give the edge to those New Mutants issues. Because Red, all together, they are just a hoot. Um, and uh, But I, I think these are very much on par with that. I At
1: 98, we have X-Men Black Emma Frost. Which is a story I think I like a bit bit more mm-hmm. and at 99 we have everything is sinister from uncanny x-men volume 2 1 through 3 uh which is the story where uh sinister takes over uh the head of tiamat the dreaming celestial uh from the major motion picture the eternal
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh sinister is a system um yeah i would you know i think i would put this in between those two i would put it just ahead of the gilling okay. um but then put it below that emma frost one shot
1: you know what i think we're i think we're in a good space so the terra verde arc is our new number 99 great showing
0: it's really good um and i think if you were looking for places to pop in um if you haven't been reading this era that is a great place to go
1: yeah folks if you haven't actually been reading x-force because you're not someone who reads x-force maybe go to just like Jump on the app yeah. and run through it because X Force rules It's like, one of the best rules. I know Percy's not for everybody. X Force rules <laughs> if you if you care about contemplative stories of violence and the cost of humanity, it's is a good one. Let's go to something less thoughtful.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, you know, if we want to talk about the cost of humanity, we might as well get into the era of Nick Spencer's uh, secret empire. Why don't we? Um, This is X-Men Blue, number seven to nine.
1: (sighs) Okay, so you know Krakoa, right? I'm familiar, yes. So directly before Krakoa, Mm -hmm. um, when Captain... I was about to say when Captain America, but that's not really true. When the Cosmic Cube <laughs> created an alternate Captain America whose history and memories had been altered so that he had grown up and was raised as a Nazi in hmm. a secret Nazi, even if Nick Spencer and other executives uh, within the Marvel Comics organization want to say that he's not a Nazi or that it's you shouldn't punch He's Nazis the real Captain what?
0: America, they said. He's the real one
1: the real captain america y'all are nuts for saying that it's anything <laughs> but the real captain america uh when that captain america did become god king of the usa and took over everything listen the the mutants were the biggest concern that he had and captain america handed magneto red Skull's skull and said here's a bigger nazi that you specifically hate more would you like california also (laughs) and stay out of my way
0: which is the dumbest and most unbelievable plot point that you could possibly have in this scenario to think that magneto would sit it out in uh (laughs) in any way shape or form but they do in the devil to that nazi scum (sighs) uh so the um utopia is brought back uh, the capital of New Tion. Uh, you know about you know about Tion, right? Uh, now now Tion is the Inhumans' island, isn't it? No, that's Adelant. Oh, Adelan. What's
1: Tion again? Well, Tion originally was the secret city from Warren Ellis's Astonishing X Men oh, Ghost Box.
0: Right. Yes, yes.
1: But more relevant to this, Tion New Tion was the. Uh, uh, the nice the island nation in the seer the Southeast Asian Republic, uh, in Ultimate Comics Ultimates in Ultimate Comics. High, that's where it. Uh, where Zorn of the Celestials and Zorn of the Eternals ruled the new uh, the new mutant race. Yeah, uh, and and secret agent Karen Grant, who was actually Jean Grey, then became God Queen of that island.
0: I really like that story. Is so weird. I don't know if it's good, but it was interesting.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's I. That story, that story is a dry run for a lot of the ideas oh, that Hickman would later do better. 100%.
0: Um, this is this new Teon is run, uh, I guess, by Zorn, at least by all appearances, but really it's being... Oh, King Zorn. Yes, King Zorn, uh, but it's really being shadow run by Emma Frost, um, Sebastian Shaw, and our friend Beast.
1: Beast who decides, I will work with Nazis on this one. Because I will compromise my morals to deal with this. Now, Emma Frost also does this. But as we all know, Emma Frost is being written very, very poorly.
0: Well, this is post-IVX Emma. This is like super crazy villain, like I put on a weird helmet, uh, Emma. Even though she's not wearing that costume here. This
1: is worse than 80s Emma. Oh, yeah. This
0: doesn't make any sense.
1: It doesn't even... We don't have to get in. No, oh, we do, because this is the first Emma story afterwards, uh-huh. isn't it? This is the first Emma story after IVX. Yeah. And what it is... So, again, none of this is really set up in Secret Empire or in this tie-in. Uh, but the O5, who are in the past, or here in the past, they are currently operating out of Madripoor, but then secretly operating out of the Redwood Forests to run a uh, rebellion against the mutant government of New mm-hmm. Uh which is a frankly it's a weird choice newtian is putting humans into concentration camps kind of which again buck wild decision here All, they just
0: also putting think about secret m em- also putting mutant uh mutants who don't get in line into camps like
1: it's a very fascist thing
0: it makes zero sense why this would exist why anyone would agree to this i mean there's like one or two panels of like people walking down the street like super happy but like no why
1: how did they take over california that the the problem with secret empire as an event is that it makes no sense oh well that's in any capacity yeah i under i understand the rise of fascism is not like cool and good and can happen faster than you think but this is like
0: Yes, but hold on. It's like a but the problem with this this as sort of like the metaphor behind the story, right? Is that Oh, there's a metaphor here. I'd love oh, to hear. No, no, this. no, but but if you're if we if we're saying that the impetus for this story is like the rise the concern of the rise of fascism within America,
1: right? The which I 100% believe that the say what you will about them very coastal liberal Marvel Comics group, when they set this up in 2016, were like, well, Trump's not going to... Hillary's going to be president, and this is a funny what if. It,
0: and very possibly, right? Um, the issue with this as a storyline is that so many of our beloved characters then sort of go, shrug, I guess we're fascists too. And that is like so antithetical to everything we know about these characters. So we get these scenarios where the uh, O5... The, the time displaced 05 are fighting uh a strike team uh made up of wolfsbane marrow toad firestar and mondo who are there to like assassinate them what oh and
1: and wolfsbane and archangel and havoc
0: right yeah well havoc was like Axis havoc, to havoc's point, going through right? some stuff so that havoc
1: havoc's still dealing with uh Axis.
0: And what what does stink about this is that this has to be the context for some actually cool kind of cool little things. Like this is the first appearance of Wolf'sbane being able to turn into multiple wolves.
1: (laughs) I want to, Adam. Do you think that's good?
0: I think it's really silly, and I
1: (laughs) I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. And the only thing that's good about it is that friend of the show Vida Ayala said nope. You guys screwed that one up. We're not letting that go away. <laughs> Wolfsman could be five wolves now.
0: We didn't mention that's good. We didn't mention Vina
1: bringing it back is good. Yeah, it existing in the first place is terrible. And listen, we haven't actually said the creative teams. I was just Cullen say Bunn.
0: Colin Bun. Colin Bun.
1: Colin Bun doing his best. Yes,
0: Corey Smith
1: did not want to write. And Matt this. Noah. We go back. Go back to our interview with Colin Bun if you want to hear one of the rawest, like I really didn't want to do this book, y'all, kind of moments. Uh, a moment where I think as recording, I was like, I don't know if we should let him keep talking, but this is really good.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, there's definitely, you can tell, some reluctance in the script writing here. And uh,
1: uh, just just to throw it out there, Corey Smith, Joey Vasquez, and Tony Silas are all the credited artists on these three issues. Yes,
0: I do like the reveal um, uh, The the O5 are captured um, by Nution. And, um, that includes Magneto's friend slash, like, sponsor, what's her name? From Oh, Briar Raleigh. Briar Raleigh, thank you, from uh, the, the Cullen Bun Magneto series who appears here. And, uh, Gene and Jimmy, the other Wolverine.
1: Oh, Jimmy Hudson, the Wolverine from the
0: alternate who, universe, Ultimate Universe,
1: who had lost his memory. Who we
0: still haven't seen, uh... Oh, because he's a venom now. Oh, right. He got
1: venomized. Yeah. He's a
0: poison. Yeah. Has he been back? No. No.
1: Okay. Why? I don't know. No. I mean, there's a, another Wolverine. No one wants him back. <laughs> listen, listen. Cullen Bunn wanted him back because he did Ultimate Comics Wolverine, and he was like, well, I got this Mother Vine yeah. thing that I would like to do. And the Mother Vine's the most interesting concept that gets introduced in X Men Blue. It's weird that he has a completely different cast deal with it than his actual cast because they got suckered into the venom event, but go off.
0: Yeah. Um, so Gene Jimmy, uh, stage rescue. It turns out that their blackbird is actually danger in disguise. And then sure. out of nowhere, Polaris shows up to help out. So, sure. um, you know, there's some fun character stuff happening here, but it all amounts to just about nothing. Cause you know that like after these issues, all of this is not going to be the the context anymore it's not going to be the world so why do we care it's
1: there are no stakes no in any of this emma frost is written bizarrely oh even even outside of ivx this is i i feel like this is someone trying to make ivx work and failing Mm mm-hmm because Emma's super horny for Teen Scott in this and thinks she can make him his her Scott. That is really creepy. Like, yeah. Y'all, I understand that you wanted to do... Like, I know that IVX at Death of X tried to do a story about grief and failed pretty hard. This is the worst version of that. And that's already a... It's already a low bar. Yeah,
0: I mean, everybody People, here... And I feel bad for Bun. Everybody here is written into a corner because they've been handed these status quos and these crossovers that really don't serve the characters at all and are not true to them or or anything. So it is not good. Just the worst. Yeah.
1: They are the it's people are like, oh, no, the IVX era was bad or the Bendis era was bad. Y'all know. Y'all know there was they they weren't all good the freaking colors era honestly might be it's pretty rough it's up there with the most atrocious x-men has ever been
0: but here here's what i will say (sighs) is that if you are reading x-men blue you could completely skip this arc and be fine you know like there's maybe one or two reveals like danger that you know and that the last page is a teaser about mother vine but aside from that you don't really need to read this it is absolutely superfluous and meaningless ultimately so it, you know it's a bad issue folks. yeah i mean and i like zorn zorn
1: i like zorn i like uh, i don't like that zorn is the puppet fascist king of california yeah
0: yeah he breaks out of it eventually but um then the artwork is fine the coloring is nice but it there's just nothing here of of real value so it's a bummer on all accounts
1: it's it's so it's so much of the worst parts of 2017 Marvel like it's the most dire Marvel Comics stuff all in one yep yeah,
0: yep yeah. um, so we I should did. rank this uh, clearly this I is guess. not a top 100 story
1: Oh buddy no it's not we have we listen. The record can show. We have some X Men Blue that we do like. Oh,
0: definitely. This ain't it.
1: Cross time capers is at 184. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, that's all the X Men Blues <laughs> on this list. Listen. Uh, so, worse than that, worse than 369
0: Gambit Tombstone Blues. Uh, Yeah. I mean, this is, I feel like, it, the bare minimum of 400 story, right? I mean, like, I'm looking down. This is bad as like four it's worse than firestar oh definitely definitely how do you feel about it compared to the first six issues of uh mystique at 488 better mystique is better okay mystique's, so we're
1: mystique's unquestionably better yeah
0: so we're uh shooting down towards the bottom of the 400s already
1: this is this is better i found my my floor is captain marvel 2 and 3 uh the Adam x the extreme retcon because this is this is telling a comprehensible story. Uh it's just a story that doesn't make sense given even the recent history of these characters. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um but I would still rather revisit Heroes for Hope at 503.
1: Um I mean Heroes for Hope is better than this, yeah. Uh Star Trek the Star Trek X-Men comics are better than this. Iceman is better than this. The first volume of Iceman yep. for, with J.M. DeMatteis. I would
0: agree. Um, I think we're on par with something like Sabretooth and Mystique at 5.13.
1: I would actually say under Sabretooth and Mystique, mm-hmm. above Emma Frost 1 through 6, Higher Learning. I agree. At 5.14.
0: I like that. That's a great spot. So this is going to be our new 5.14. Oh,
1: you know, the blue era was bad. <laughs> Beast War Crime in that one was dealing with fashion. Yeah,
0: not a central character, but we're we're gonna get back to it because uh Zach, I believe our road to six hundred has come to a clo- as come to an end. We're at six hundred.
1: Is that is is that six hundred off in yonder
0: distance over over said clearing there? <laughs> it is. What what should we cover for our six hundredth story?
1: I wanna be I wanna be very clear. This was not on our list initially and then we realized that we were gonna hit the road to six hundred today. And uh, we said, oh my gosh, it's already on theme. And it's Uncanny X-Men 600, The Trial of
0: That East. is correct. The uh, much-delayed final issue of Bendis's run.
1: Man, if I ever get a microphone in five minutes with Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> it's
0: going to be all about I am it. only
1: asking him about the end of his X-Men. <laughs> There's so many questions I have for Brian
0: Michael Bendis. Uh,
1: I need to know about this. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, this issue is uh, written by Bendis, and it is a jam art issue. So it features, good God. Sarah
1: Pichelli, yep. Mahmoud Asar, Stuart Eminem, Chris Anka, Chris Bachelot, David Marquez, and Fraser Irving.
0: Yep. Uh, with color. What a killer. Yeah. What a killer lineup. Inks by Wade von grawbadger Tim Towson, Mark Irwin, and colors by Marte Gracia, Jason Keith, Chris Bachelot, and Fraser fraser irving um hey chris
1: chris always looks better when he colors himself right
0: i i love it when he colors himself so good and also a tremendous number of fantastic variant covers uh i happen to have one of my personal faves which is the olivier coipel aussie x-men cover um, which is just like an absolutely gorgeous piece of artwork so
1: all of the variant covers to this very cool cool. but Uh, this is a rickley a one a leneo francis u one a paul smith one yeah uh, Adam Hughes has a great one. Chris Anka has an incredible one. Uh, Art Adams has a really good one. Yeah. Uh, and the main cover is, like, I had the main cover as a poster I do in my house until I yeah. moved.
0: So, really delayed on this one. This um, kept getting pushed back, I think, because of, in part, the sheer number of people that it took to put together. But also because of Secret Wars.
1: Yeah. Uh... Here's what here's what happened. I don't know why it got pushed back, but my understanding is the issue was more or less done uh, for a while. It came out the same day as Extraordinary X Men number one did, which kicked off the IVX era. Yeah. And it's a weird that's a weird parallel mm. to read because because this story starts out um, the X Men have called Beast in have what they call a trial, which is a really aggressive way Hold to on. describe... Hold on, they
0: don't call it a trial. They, they, they suggest Beast, it's Beast an does. intervention. Beast calls it a trial.
1: They're sitting down and they're saying, Beast, I think we need to talk about our feelings about Cyclops here, <laughs> because you may have taken things a bit too far, and we're we're at fault for enabling you on that. Yep. We all, we all had part in continuing your little dalliances but we need to talk about it
0: yeah uh especially storm is pretty upfront with with beast and saying like yeah you know we can't have you continuing to dabble with the the laws of space and time and physics because eventually this is going to get it's already gotten to the point where we don't really know what the timeline is anymore and uh, well
1: and here's the thing. Ben. This was something that Bendis was seeding in his recent past. Uh, Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. the event, was supposed to have broken time mm-hmm. and space and all this stuff, which allowed uh, Todd McFarlane's, Neil Gaiman's uh, Angela yes. to come into the Marvel yep. Universe. I, I'm sorry. Neil Gaiman's, Todd McFarlane's Angela. Thank you. It's very important. <laughs> uh, no, but they had they had been trying to do something with this and even in like the black vortex event beast has the revelation of oh no i did screw up badly
0: yeah uh,
1: my problem with that is you can't say that this guy is using time travel irresponsibly when you're in the marvel universe
0: and reed richards has been doing it for decades i mean it's like
1: (laughs) everyone everyone's using time travel irresponsibly it can't break time that's not the Oh, no, they brought the X-Men back from the past. Y'all, Doctor Strange is literally doing that right now. It's fine. It's fine. It happens. It all works out.
0: It's fine. As a character arc, though, I do find it kind of compelling, this whole idea of Beast, like, starting off all new... Uh, it was all new X-Men, right? Uh, where he, all yes, new X-Men. and then it leads into Uncanny... Um, you know, bringing the 05 back, having this sort of wistful idea of, like, how he's going to stop Scott from whatever the hell he's doing. And here, they're basically saying, look, you lied to us. We're here. We're now stuck here. We can't have you fiddling around with this anymore because we don't know what else you're going to do, you know? Like, they even blame so- him for... Which I think is interesting. They They kind of put the blame for the future Brotherhood version of Beast on him, too. Because they're like... We don't know what you're gonna become and who you're gonna enable because then the future is also coming back and trying to kill us.
1: It's I was talking to somebody today about mm-hmm. this, who asked, I don't know how Brian Michael Bendis feels about Cyclops. I think he might hate him, but some of his characters like him. And one, I I think he's a comic book nerd, so he loves Cyclops. Yeah, of course. Like he he just like he loves Beast and he loves other characters. He wouldn't be. Have you seen what he did to Daredevil? <laughs> he does this to characters he yeah. likes, but he positions Beast and Cyclops very interestingly in all new X Men number one in Uncanny Six Hundred, mm-hmm. where the story frames Beast as correct and good in his actions, and Cyclops as rogue terrorists. But if you look at if you look at his actions. None of that makes sense, and people complain about that. And no, I'm like that was intent. That was that was just writing good. Yes, that was knowing story structure was like you're able to see something's wrong here. And if you look at six hundred and how it positions each of those characters, everyone has now come around and said, "Beast, we were we were all like dealing with some stuff at the moment, but you way overreacted, and in your hubris, bad things happened." Meanwhile, Cyclops is doing like a a idealized version of MLK's march on Washington.
0: I'm I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. One of the things that I um, have always faulted Bendis with in his uh, stories with All New and Uncanny is that he generally can't stick the landings. Uh, in particular, the very rushed reveal of Dark Beast as the character that mm-hmm. uh, had been poisoning um, Emma and the rest of the Phoenix five and their power right. sets and all that stuff is revealed so quickly and so rushed. And we have a similar problem here because the last few pages are Chris Bachalo doing this March on Washington Cyclops getting up there and saying every mutant in the world is here. Well, we don't really know how that happened um they're not and it's and that's 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 fine and hey we're all being peaceful here so everything's cool everything's cool you know this is like this is utopia again and magneto comes down he's like man yeah i don't know about this but professor x would have loved it so hey let's be chill right and that's okay but it's also a little bit like fantastic in a way that doesn't quite feel real
1: so so one i think from a character arc standpoint and what Bendis was doing with Cyclops and with Magneto, like this is, this is the way that it ends. This is, this is the way it has to end is Cyclops being positioned as not a reactionary Mm -hmm. as a pacifist figure and doing, doing the thing that reduces like Martin Luther King in a way that like it does when the history channel puts out things that says, actually professor X was based on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Magneto are the same person. Nope. Right? We we understand both history and comics. Incorrect. It, literally, they updated that article <laughs> this year. It really pissed me Jesus off. Christ. But it's fine. It's fine. Go read... Jude Jones wrote an amazing piece on ComicsXF about it. Go read mm-hmm. it. I do understand that from like a character arc standpoint, that makes sense for what, what he's doing with Cyclops. I agree with you. It reads as fantastical because this came out in 2015, and... I believe all of us have now become very jaded.
0: It's not even me just being cynical, though. I think that it it just, the other thing that he's doing throughout, and we haven't mentioned this at all, is that in between these confrontations with Beast, and um, I want to get back to the the very end of this book, which I think is amazing. Yes. But they're interspersed with these little, Bendis is just trying to catch up with everything. He has a little vignette with, with the, the all-new yeah. X-Men team. Uh, with the O5 uh, hanging out in, in the woods. That's absolutely gorgeous. The way that Imminent draws it. Um, we get a reunion scene between Magic and Colossus. And then we also get. Which I think was supposed to be kind of like the, the other centerpiece of this issue. Is this conversation between young Bobby and adult Bobby. About whether adult Bobby is going to come out of the closet. Now that young Bobby has. And which young the young Iceman
1: reveal. I, revealed sounds gross but it is also what gene does to him uh of of him coming out had only happened two issues beforehand like there was a big gap but it was supposed to be this was a in pretty quick succession
0: yeah and it's it's an interesting scene i think that what bendis is trying to do throughout this issue is to set up a new status quo for what's going to come next but of course none of it really flies because after secret wars the status quo gets shaken up into these weird you know teams and it it's just a kind of a mess um
1: imagine reading these one after another because i did and it sucked yeah. like i don't i think the, i think the an, the ending of this is a little fanciful i think the whole actually we are peaceful protesters and now everyone can respect us because we're being respectable is a whole yeah whole thing that I like to hope that a lot of people have either turned on that thinking or moved past. And I know it's not as many as I want. And I'm in a bit of a bubble uh, when it comes to that, but it
0: is really
1: jarring to go from that to extraordinary X-Men number one where it's, by the way, everything's
0: worse. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do really want to compliment this issue on is its final uh, two pages. Fraser Irving comes in and uh, Eva Bell, who was sort of, this integral character in Bendis's run visits Beast. You mean Eva Bell of the Fives? Yes. Uh, visits Beast and is basically like, "Hey, I time travel, and this you thought this was your trial? It's not. And there have been actually a couple of your trials, and this wasn't one of them." So you need to give some serious thought to what I mean, it's the most effective version of the intervention, because you can tell that he's haunted by what it is that she says. And Irving's art sells it so well.
1: Yeah, she, she's saying, you think your friends politely ambushing <laughs> right. you in your mansion is the repercussions of your actions?
0: You dummy. Yeah. And it's
1: I'm watching you, bud. no, it's
0: such a fantastic. end, and it's one of these things that like you just wish had kind of like translated into the next era and who knows, you know, maybe, uh, you know, one of the writers will come back and, and bring, uh, this particular, uh, interaction back again, but it's, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, so this issue has a lot of good stuff in it. Um, it also has like sort of some weird dorky stuff in it that I don't think flies, Dorky the right word to describe <laughs> a lot of it. It's idealistic in a way that feels naive, if I'm being harsh, you know. So,
1: listen, listen. We all uh, we've all had to become a lot more cynical. Yeah,
0: single. sure, absolutely. Um,
1: it it happened.
0: However, I um, do like it. So, where's it going?
1: I don't mind. Listen, I, our show is called Battle of the Atom. Mm-hmm. We generally like Bendis' X Men. I think. Yeah. I wouldn't call this one of the best issues of it,
0: though. No. No, there are much better ones. Where do we
1: have... I,
0: I, for instance, uh, down at 157 is the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. I think that... Wildly high, honestly. I I think that story is better than this. What do you think? Yeah, it is.
1: I'm looking lower. Mm -hmm. I think this might make it in the 300s. Because, like, well okay so 300 right now is x factor x cell uh-huh i think this is probably better than that yeah
0: i i think we're probably in the 200s here this is probably better than uncanny 300 which is at 291
1: 277 is old man logan old man logan's better i would agree this is better than the mojo issue of x-men black
0: absolutely it's better than the arc of all new x factor stolen island at 287
1: it's not as good as two eighty one here comes tomorrow, and it's not as good as two hundred eighty two I Magneto.
0: Yeah, so I think I might give the edge to Wolverine Noir at two eighty four. No, no, I would give the edge to this. So that
1: Yeah, I would I was gonna say yeah. I'm not gonna fight you too much. So hard, better or but, worse than uh, X Men the
0: Exterminated.
1: I like the Exterminated more, okay. but I think this might be a better story than the Exterminated. Right. Like I don't I don't know how you weigh the culmination of a lot of threads, even even if they aren't done perfectly, versus a well-done but unexceptional one-shot. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. I, I, You know what? I would give The Edge to Uncanny then. Um, so that would make it our new 283.
1: That would make it our new number 283 out of 600 oh, X-Men stories.
0: Crazy. Adam, we've read so many. It's awesome, it's awesome. All right, Whew. all right. So those were definitely some beast uh, war crimes, and
1: uh... honestly, I only think one of them actually counts as a war yeah, crime. Yeah, that's true. Of What he did, that's true. I think I think fascism is abhorrent and also a political structure that the Geneva Convention does not explicitly.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. He was... Wait,
1: no. Oh, he. he the detention centers are probably a war exactly. crime. Let's count so, it. Yeah,
0: I think we got two out of three. Here. Again,
1: <laughs> it's such a weird one-off thing. That story's so weird. <laughs> two out of three. It's just it's just second-hand war crimes. It's just saying they, they're they doing war crimes. He didn't he didn't really do a war crime in the trial <laughs> of these. Uh, We've covered other war crimes that he's right. definitely done, so it's Absolutely. fine. We've covered other genocides he's done. It's okay. Jerky blue guy. I love Beast. Uh, And I want to thank Jor-A-L-C-A-L-A for uh, jumping on the Patreon and throwing a couple of dollars our way to talk about it. This was a fun episode. Thank you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, Adam, what do you got going on?
0: Um, I believe my uh, final episode of Chris's On Infinite Earths uh, will be released relatively soon. I'm not sure the exact drop date. Um, but we're talking about the Walt Simonson Art Adams classic Monsters Unleashed for the new Fantastic Four. Um, so make sure you check that out. Other than that, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Zach, what do you got going on? Nothing
1: ah. Never never, never, <laughs> never find me. I have um, if anyone is going to be at the AHR Expo in Las Vegas uh, talking about uh, the latest in air conditioning, <laughs> heating and refrigeration. Yeah please please do not contact me there i'm working do not find me there at all if you recognize me like nothing just like don't do anything let me let me do my job in peace and then also come to come to the panels where if if you do need forward curve blowers uh for hvac applications or ventilation, VAV units, single-pack verticals, uh, water source heat pumps, really anything that you need to move air over uh, with a forward curve, a fractional <laughs> horsepower motor, come hit me up. I'm, I've got a presentation uh, th- all three days of the show. Wow, uh, It's going to be a really good time. Go check that out. There's also a happy hour at our booth. Don't. Nope. Don't come to the happy <laughs> hour, actually. Don't. I'm not even telling you what booth. There's a lot of happy hours. If you want to try and figure out what company I work for, don't. That's weird.
0: That was the most amazing pitch ever.
1: It, listen, I've been working on the slides. I actually feel really
0: good about this. I'm excited. I mean, it sounds like you got something going on. What do we have going on? Next no, it week?
1: sounds like it's like a comic convention, but worse because I'm working and won't enjoy yeah, it. It doesn't sound as fun. I got some nice fancy work dinners. It's going to be okay. Uh, but next week, to uh, to tell you, tell you what, we've got a fun one. Mm. Uh, the new captain of the Marauder, Steve Orlando is going to be with us to talk about what Steve Orlando's up to and what, what the pirates are doing, the X-Men pirates that they have now. Sounds fun. But until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survive the experience.
0: Get